you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and to turn with me to Psalm chapter 34. With several different texts this morning. Welcome every single one of you. A beautiful, beautiful day. Thank you, Matt, for leading us in worship and Angeline and the others. Special welcome if you are visiting with us today to Big Woods Bible Church. It's like a thousand things going on. There's movement all over. And we have an opportunity now just to kind of pause. And Lord willing, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. I want to um, personally just thank you for your faithful prayers. Uh, It's a delight to have our son and daughter-in-law, Seth and Emily, home from uh, the Middle East serving the Lord with our two little ones, Levi and We've just met for the first time our newest little grandchild, Theodore Knox. And so we welcome Seth and Emily here. And thank you, church family, just for the faithful prayers, visa issues and passport issues and some unexpected conflicts and COVID and a thousand things. But I appreciate your prayers. We have the privilege this morning of gathering together a focus that we have been placing all of our attention on, particularly over these last several weeks together. We're going to continue on why corporate worship matters with looking today at a huge responsibility that every single one of us has. You you may be sitting there in a chair right now, kind of like hearing and taking in, okay? But there is a huge responsibility that every single one of us have placed upon our shoulders. And we're going to, Lord willing, learn about that and come away with a clear sense of understanding, but a reminder of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that exists within us to fulfill that responsibility. Before we go any further, I just need help this morning, as I always do, to pray for the Lord's leading and speaking with trucks going by and airplanes overhead and motorcycles and just to pause and breathe deep and listen to what the Lord has for us. Would you bow our heads and pray with me? Father, we are just so grateful for you. We're thankful, Lord, for who you are and for in your sovereign providence to allow us, Lord, to gather as your children, sons and daughters, before the throne of grace, lifting up voices in worship with your perfect and powerful word before us. We thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to hear from you and Our prayer is that you would be heard. You would be the focus. We do understand, Lord, that we have a job description. We have a mandate, a mission. We've been commissioned by you to be faithful to the work of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would clarify and empower us to be obedient. Thank you so much, Lord, that we enjoy the graces and freedoms to worship openly like this. We do continue to lift up those in our community who do not have the hope of Jesus that we would be used to share with them and to show them what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus. Please give me clarity of thought and mind and speech. May you be glorified in all of this. We ask this in Jesus' name, the amazing, powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We've spent some time on the fact reminding you we look left and right, and we often say, don't get too comfortable here because we are what? We're exiles. We've been exiled to this land for a period of time. We've been sent as ambassadors representing another king, another kingdom. We looked at the fact that 
the church gathered is what I call an extraordinary outpost. What is an outpost? It is a place to go when the trip is long, the journey is hard, the enemy is dangerous. That's a safe place. A place for us to gather, to, to rest, to kind of recoup, recharge, refresh our supplies. Ask questions like, how are you doing on this mission? To uh, clarify our job description. But most of all, keep our eyes on the king. That's where our focus is. We looked last week at about an exciting opportunity as we are what we are God's temple gathered here together. You represent the temple of God. People say, church really isn't for me. Creation is my church. No, actually, people gathered. As the temple of God, we also have a responsibility to function and serve as priests, offering sacrifices of God to praise him. And what? Offer good works. Love and kindness and generosity towards one another. However, I want you to pause this morning, think for a moment. If we are exiles, we know that this is not our home, that our home awaits us. I think it's really easy to get discouraged at some level. We look around us, a society that is what deeply embedded and entrenched, a society around us that is entrenched that which just seems to be evil, celebrate it. We know that at some level, it's, it's almost dangerous. Like you're trying to raise little ones, and it's dangerous, kind of guarding them from the influences of this world. Not only that, but that we know that the church, the church is increasingly being marginalized, and what's kind of mocked at some level. People will make fun of you for not going to the park today, but gathering here to worship and sing songs, and give hard-earned money. So I think as exiles, it can be very easy for us to get discouraged when the surrounding environment can be pretty depressing, even a sense of futility or even fatalism. What does it matter anyway? I want to remind you that there's a very dark chapter in Israel's history. When they were in Babylonian captivity and occupation, Daniel chapter 1, And there's a description, there's a psalm that is sung that is a wonderful reminder for you and I today. Psalm 137, it says this, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down. It says that we wept when we remembered Zion. They were away from their home, weeping. It says what? There on the poplars, there on the trees, we hung our harps. For our captors asked for songs, yet how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? You ever, you ever feel like that? At some level, we look around us like, how, like, how do we keep doing this? How do we keep singing? This morning, I want to challenge you. Don't hang up your harps. Don't ever come to a place like, yeah, this is, this is too dark for us. This is too depressing. Yeah, I just don't like what's... Don't ever, don't ever hang up your harps. Don't ever stop singing. Don't ever stop praising. Don't ever stop gathering together to worship. We looked at the fact when we gather together, it's what, what we do. We sing songs. We listen to the preaching of the word of God. We sacrifice for one another. Today we're going to look very briefly at why we do this. And the first reason is 
what I call the word exaltation, the, the number one reason that we do all of this work to gather together is to exalt God. We gather together for his glory. In the Psalms, it says in chapter 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Why do we do this? What is the number one reason that we exalt, we lift up, we honor, we adore the name of Jesus? Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God. 181 miles northwest of here is Niagara Falls, 2,382 cubic tons of water fall, 188 feet per second. Many of you have been there and can be viewed from what multiple angles, but regardless of what angle you view Niagara Falls, you will literally feel what a thunderous and hear a deafening roar. But what is interesting is this, regardless of what angle you are at, regardless of how loud the roar, wherever you view it, whatever angle, there's something inside of us that says what? We want to get closer. We want to to experience. I recall years ago paying what a ridiculous amount of money for a 15-minute boat ride. Yes, they give you a free garbage bag to put over you as you ride what? The Maid of the Mist. And yet what happens when you board the Maid of the Mist and it brings you to the very, very base? You are literally, why have they put a garbage bag on you? Because you will be soaked with the spray. It's never enough just for us to kind of like, there it is over there. There's something inside of us that wants to get, that needs to get closer. So it is with the worship of God. We exalt him, but there's something deep inside that says, you know what? I want more. Matter of fact, we need More, we need to be closer. And as we approach the Lord in worship, we are to be filled with a majestic wonder, a reverential awe, so to speak, as we adore. And as we do that, what is the natural response of redeemed people? As we get closer and closer and we feel the presence of God, what is the natural response but for us to exalt, for us to praise, to lift up our voices. There has to be a response here. God gathers us to glorify him. God gathers us to glorify him. D.A. Carson wrote that worship involves ascribing all honor and worth to our creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. And I love that description, that there's something about an inward joy. And we do this together. So there's several things that come to mind that, in a sense, should characterize our expression of giving glory to God. 
And the first one is this. There should be a sense, even in this gathered setting right now, on a beautiful, beautiful summer day, a sense of gravity, I call it, or gravitas. There should be a sense of, of weightiness, of heaviness. The author of Hebrews writes in chapter 12, verse 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship, listen to this, with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, now balance the closeness and the intimacy that we have with our own heavenly Father, Abba Father. Balance that with what? Still a reverence, a respect, but a delightfulness and a joyfulness, a gleefulness. Nehemiah chapter 1 says, I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I looked at that word awesome like that was an awesome piece of pizza. No, no, don't ever use it like that. Actually, in the old King James Version, it translates it and it says that God is a terrible God. Does it mean that God is horrible or mean? No, no, no. It speaks of his, what? His awesome power. God keeps his covenant, Nehemiah continues on, with a steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments. Think of when you sit next to a campfire, camping season, or sit next to a cozy fireplace in your home. Are you, are you afraid when you sit in front of a campfire? Are you, are you fearful as you gather around a fireplace knowing that we know that fire burns and it scars? And we know that fire destroys. Are you afraid in that setting? Absolutely not. Of course not. Why? Because you respect that fire. You treat it with what? Proper care, knowing that it is a blessing that offers warmth when we're cold. It offers light when it's dark out. It offers what? Safety when we're scared. It offers food when you're hungry. That fire is delightful, although what? Out of control, it totally wrecks and ruins. Therefore, when we gather, we should gather and worship God with the utmost of respect for him. Respecting his might, his power, his sovereignty, his authority. And yet, even in the midst of that great and awesome, we still come with a sense of singing in delightful joy. How do we combine those two things together? There's a sense of gravitas, but there's also to be a sense of what I call gratitude. Psalm chapter 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. We also exalt God with songs and prayers that express our Thankfulness, And have you ever noticed this, that when a thankful person hangs around another person, that all of a sudden that, that gratitude is contagious at some level. Like it, it multiplies. Gratitude, thankfulness spreads around a crowd. The sheer number of scriptures that combine the word praise to God and thanks to God is amazing all the way through scripture. Knowing that what? Knowing that we deserve the very consequence of our sin. Romans chapter 6 says what is death? That we deserve separation from God. We deserve to be alienated. We deserve to be isolated. We deserve to be what? 
punished by God. And yet, because of his sheer love for us, he draws us in close. This should elicit what? A joyful, joyful confession. Contriteness, brokenness, sincerity. Broken over our sin, and yet a sense of gratitude, knowing that God draws us close. Psalmist says in Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. It says as well, what? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm going to challenge you to do this morning is to check your attitude. Your attitude of gratitude. A lot of times it's very natural for us to say, you know, it's kind of, kind of hot and sticky out here. You know, I'm not real comfortable right now. You know, I really don't, I really don't like that. You know, if this over here was only a little bit different, if that person didn't sit so close to me, as opposed to, wait a minute, do do you realize who we are in the presence of a holy God? Do we realize what we deserve? And yet God in his grace has offered to us a relationship that it should elicit songs of praise and thanks. When we exalt God, we do it with gravity, we do it with gratitude, and then finally we do it with a sense of gladness. Psalm chapter 32, shout for joy, shout for joy. All you upright in heart, there should always be a joy and a sense of gladness to our celebrations, to our coming together. Why? Because of the forgiveness that we have received. Have you ever been to a church service before where it seems like, oh, it's like a funeral dirge like is this ever I, I don't I don't see that anywhere I don't see that anywhere in scripture Psalm 118 what the sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous that's what exists around here all of the time Psalm chapter 95 oh come let us sing for joy to the Lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation and no, 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 we're too mature we're too refined to shout. No, 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 you're not. Understanding what God has done for us elicits not just a sense of gratitude, thankfulness, but a sense of celebration and gladness. Hard to do, hard to do, especially today when we know that, wow, look around us and it is so dark and so many people are angry about everything. Why else? Why else do we gather together? Not just to exalt God, exaltation, but there's a sense of edification, gathering together for our good. That's the togetherness, the R part, O-U-R. There's a plurality to our gathering, which means that the entire church, doesn't matter how old you are today, doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how big you are or how little, everything that we do in church should benefit one another from whatever takes place in our worship, whatever takes place in our fellowship. You realize that, that we put great work into make sure that every single person at some level is gaining, is learning, is benefiting. You know, in the early church, there were some significant struggles that were going on. People in the early church were more concerned about themselves with others. Of course, we would say that's only the early church, right? That could never exist today. But in the early church, New Testament church, people were actually more concerned about themselves than other people. 
And so as a result of that, there was significant struggle, strength, you could almost say conflict, particularly with one church. It's the church of Corinth. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Now, people had been, what, gifted with certain gifts. And as a result of what, only being concerned about themselves, they neglected other people, and there was no edification. There was no building up of the body of Christ. So Paul writes this. He said, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in all tongues, in, in tongues, builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So what is happening here? In a sense, there's what? A, a, a gift of tongues, but if it's only to benefit one person, then what is that about? As opposed to what? We do it through which we know now the final truth of God. It must align with the prophecies that have been given to us in the word of God. God has given to each one of us gifts. Now, if you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, what leads up to that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a list of these gifts that are given. Gifts of what? We know that it's gifts of wisdom. Some of you have that. Some of you do not have the gift of wisdom. Some of you have been given the gift of faith, just ready to take the next step. Others don't have that gift, which means we need to mutually work alongside to benefit and bless one another. For, uh, Romans chapter 12 continues on with a list of these gifts where it says very clearly what there's been gifts of serving some of you do that first thing in the morning here to set up to make sure everything is taken care of some people have the gifts of helps others have the gifts of teaching or preaching it means what every single thing is to be exercised so that there's a mutual benefit not a personal gain I've often been taught what, that a gift, a spiritual gift, is like a muscle. What? Use it or lose it. If, if, if you have ever had a, a leg and a cast, an arm and a cast, and you don't use that, you know that what? It just is dead. Have you given thought to the spiritual gifts that you have been given? Can I ask a question? Do you know what your gift is? is or gifts do, do you know that every single one of us should say yes i know exactly so that we're exercising those gifts if not speak to me info at bigwoods together at bigwoods and sit down we'll sit with you to to talk about and listen and watch other people affirm what gifts you have other people affirm what gifts you do not have do you know what your gift is are you using those gifts? You, you do understand that the analogy of a body is by design. When, when one part of the body suffers, when one part of the body is not functioning, the whole body lacks. Which means if you are choosing to receive a gift given to you by the Holy Spirit and you're just sitting there, guess what? 
the rest of this entire body is suffering because you refuse to get up out of your chair. Yeah, but I don't, I don't really want to draw any attention to myself. You know, I'm not really, wait a minute. Serving, offer a cup of cold water to the thirst. I mean, this is not difficult. Every one of us are to be using the gifts that God has given or we can lose that. What else leads up to this instruction that Paul was given in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? So 12, it's what we know that we have gifts to do this. It's not personal, but it's mutual. And that also in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's supposed to be exercised with what? 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love. Doesn't matter how many gifts, it doesn't matter how articulate, doesn't matter how intelligent, doesn't matter how splendid you are, unless you exercise that gift in love. It says that you are nothing but making a loud, and I could add annoying noise. That's not what God has called us to. We are to do all things, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're to do all things decently. And in order. Why is that important? Because confusion never edifies. Confusion never builds up. Confusion kills. That's why we put great care. Everything that we do is focused not on an individual, but mutually together are we learning and are we growing. Prophecies that are given must align with the word of God. We know that God builds up his church. And guess what? God desires and chooses to use you to build up his church. God chooses to use you, delightfully so. Which means what? When you invest your time, your tithe, your talents into the local church of Jesus Christ. You're investing into something that literally lasts forever and ever and ever. In the 1920s, Lord John Charles Walsham Rath established the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. Then in 1927, he served as the general director. Uh, Lord Rayeth was a believer. He was described as a somewhat severe man from the highlands of Scotland. He was a serious man, as a serious follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was interesting is the BBC continued to grow. It was carried along by the tide of secularism that swept through Britain in the 1960s. A young producer stood up in a meeting and he said to Lord Rayeth that the world was changing and that the BBC did not need to continue on with this religious broadcasting and religious programming output. People were no longer interested in it, this young executive said. He said, by the way, the church is becoming increasingly obsolete. It doesn't matter. Lord Rayeth, who was six foot six inches tall, stood up and he said, sit down, young man. The church will stand at the grave of the BBC. You realize that the church will stand at the grave of CNN? Realize that the church will stand at the grave 
of Fox News. Today we look and what the church will stand at the grave of Amazon and Tesla. Do you realize this? And I do not say it in any disrespect. The church of Jesus Christ will stand at the grave and will outlast the United States of America. Jesus Christ himself my, says, my kingdom is not of this world. So even though what we are just moving through as exiles, when we what? When we seek to build up the body of Christ in edification, through our singing together, singing loud, shouting, praying together, faithfully teaching one another. It says, older women teach younger women. If you are considered, I would not dare touch this, if you are considered an older woman that's here today. I have no idea where to drive. I'm staying away from there. Are you teaching someone that is younger than you? It says older men teach younger men. You want to stand before the Lord. It's like, yeah, but you know what? I didn't, I, I, I didn't read real, real well. That, that's not going to be an excuse. You can't just sidestep. You can't take out bits and pieces of the word of God. Our responsibility not only is to exalt God in our gathered worship, but to build up and edify one another. Thirdly and finally, we're to do this with a sense of evangelization. We gather together literally for the world's gaze. Matt was so accurate this morning when he said, do you realize that people are listening to us right now, like right now? Do you realize that what we do is well known here. Someone told me recently, who lives about two blocks, that they set a lawn chair outside of their home and they listen to the preaching of the Word of God. What we do here is not to be secret. This is highly visible by design. This is not a foreign idea. It goes all the way back. Old Testament worship, what? You are to praise God in public as a witness, they would do that before surrounding pagans who were praying before false gods and false deities. Psalm chapter 18, verse 49, I will praise you, O God, O Lord, among the nations. How about your faithful support is sending two new missionary families out to what? Declare the glory of God among the nations. Praise God for your faithfulness. It says in Psalm chapter 96, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. You're like, wait a minute. In the, in the latter parts of the New Testament, we know that the church was threatened. Like people were being arrested and they were, they were being killed because of their public worship. And we know the truth is what? In many places, that still exists. What happens in those cases? What has happened is that that idea of kind of staying quiet, this is a personal thing. In our particular setting, to stay shuttered in a, in a personal worship, that, that idea has carried over into places that, wait a minute, I'm sorry, but no one's going to arrest you for singing loud about Jesus. Not here, not now, not right now. So we have a responsibility to make sure that what? We stand before the world's gaze. Not in arrogance, not in pride, not we're better than. To tell them about the good news that Jesus redeems and rescues from sin. The church of Jesus Christ 
needs to be seen. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be heard. And I would argue to the fact that it needs to be seen and heard more and louder than it presently does right now. Why? Because our command is to tell. Our mission, our mandate is to testify, is to be a witness. The Holy Spirit empowers us in Acts chapter 1. And we are to work hard at this. Why? To share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to be very careful. I would say very careful to make sure that we're not being arrogant or ignorant. We need to be sensitive as well. We have to be careful to remove some of the barriers of the the lingo and the culture that exists within this context that someone maybe from the outside doesn't get it or doesn't understand it. We have to be aware of that, but we can't water things down so much so that what? People lack the nourishment, the strength, the teaching that is necessary. The lost around us in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, need to be found, and they will be found through the powerful witness and through the bright shining lights of you, children of God, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we do this? Like, this is a lot of work. We do this to exalt. We do this to edify. We do this to evangelize. Everything points to the gospel of Jesus. It was not that long ago that I was sitting, a couple years ago, with two young men. Those young men were the one that actually owned the ground that your chair sits on right now. Those young men own the building that is our worship center behind us. I remember dialoguing with them. You've heard this story before that, that the seven acres and the building, even before it was renovated, they're asking $1.4 million as we approach them. Like, we're interested to buy this. And I'm like, yeah, well, we don't have that. But we have 0.4. We had gathered all of our resources together. They're asking 1.4, and we're offering 0.4, so we have what? We've got a million-dollar gap. We've got a long way to go kind of put the files away and the finances away and push it to the side. And, and one of the young boys, his name was Stephen, he leaned in and he says, what exactly do you need this for? Like, what do you do? At that point, we're actually in the old sanctuary. And I said, well, people come here and they sit in these chairs and they sing songs together. He said, you sing songs together? What do you sing about? I said, we just sing about Jesus. And he goes like, and he said, I don't want to be rude, but is that like your full-time job? Do you get paid to do this? I said, yeah, it's kind of different. And he, and he's, he, he wasn't, he, he said, well, how, did, like, how do you get paid? And I said, well, see those baskets? We just pass those baskets around. He goes, you sing about Jesus, and you pass baskets around, and people just put money in. I said, yeah. And he said, well, what do you tell them? You stand up here and you talk. What do you tell them? I said, you know what? To be perfectly honest, I tell them the same thing every single week. I said, don't tell them that I said that. I said, I tell them about the fact that there is a God and he is real and holy and he is set apart far from us and that we, what, are sinful mankind. There's a great distance between the two, but because of Jesus, who died on the cross, we put our faith and our trust in him. What? It draws sinful men into the presence and sight of a holy God. I just shared the gospel. 
I've continued to pray as many of you have for those two young men. And we know that God in miraculous ways provided. It was a snowstorm. I was driving home from a men's retreat on a snowstorm and I got a phone call from the same young man. He said, you know, Tim, that, that building, are you guys still interested in that? And I said, yes, yeah, Stephen, but we're a million, we're a million dollars off. He said, why don't you stop by the office? We can talk. And because people were praying, he said, we'll accept what you have. And that's how God works. Why? Because what happens here as we gather, God joins us for a purpose to declare his goodness and his grace to everyone around us. May we be encouraged today that we gather to exalt, to edify, to build up, and to but be an example in evangelizing the world. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Father, I just ask that you would continue to empower us to be faithful and obedient to you. We love you. We love you, Lord, for offering your son, Jesus. Bless us as we just strive to be obedient to the best that we can. For your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.